This is In Focus, the weekly public affairs program from KTBB and the Team Sports Radio, featuring members of the local community working to make East Texas a better place. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another installment of In Focus. My name is Lonnie Johnson. Today, I'm joined with CASA for Kids of East Texas, and representing CASA for Kids of East Texas this morning is Mary Jo Burgess. You're the CEO and executive director, and Jared Watson, who is the director of community engagement. Welcome. Thank you. We're delighted to be here. Very good. So uh, let's just start with the beginning. CASA, the acronym. So CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. And what that means is by law, when a child that's been abused and neglected has been removed from their home, in Texas, they are appointed a guardian ad litem and an attorney ad litem. So our role as the nonprofit is to fulfill that role of guardian ad litem for the child. For those of uh, our listeners who are not legally inclined, ad litem means? That just means that in our case, the guardian ad litem is the appointed position. And sometimes that's filled by a volunteer and sometimes by a staff. So we operate in the world of finding what is in the best interest of that child. And are the children all below 18? Is that zero to 18? We serve zero to 18, and so at 18, they normally age out of foster care. However, the child, the youth in this case, can decide to remain in care through what's called extended care. And as you can imagine, not many of our youth are opt to do that. It's too bad. I hate to get off track that quickly or, you know, or um, not not for you, but for me, because my curiosity takes over. So that would be a really beneficial structure for a young adult, wouldn't it? Like 18 to 22, if they wanted to use that? Yes, you have hit on something that's really passionate for me um, because our youth are not uh, fully prepared for the real world. As you can imagine, um, most of their decisions have been made for them while they're in foster care and they're very ill prepared to face the real world but at the same time they want that freedom well uh the obvious uh, factor is their cortex hasn't been formed yet at that age it's still growing together um but let, let's talk about the child uh that that is involved in CASA and, and that, that you, a volunteer would help. Let, let's talk about what those children would look like, what their situations would look like. Oh, Lonnie, how much time do we have? A lot. We've got uh, <laughs> another 28 minutes, and that's, that's, that's many words. We'll say thousands of words in those 28 minutes. <laughs> well, we can do that. Um, we all see the horrific stories in the media. You hear about it in the news. You see it in the paper. Um, And those stories are so awful. There's sexual abuse, there's sex trafficking, there's homelessness, there's neglect, there's drug abuse, there's babies born addicted to cocaine. All of those things we see daily right here in your listening audience. So those children come with so much baggage. And then it's our job to help start unraveling that and start putting them on the path to recovery. 
So uh, CASA volunteer might find I I don't like the term damaged child. I just it's not something I'm a fan of because I I think uh, damage is something that that uh, cannot be changed, you know, and that's wrecked to me. Damaged is something that can always be fixed. And I I think in many ways that uh, that these children with help, they don't have to live these uh, desperate lives as young adults. Maybe maybe your involvement, maybe the the, uh, involvement of CASA volunteers redirects their lives into a better way. And that's what I would hope. Yes, you're right on target. Um, If you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy, um, what that means is that we all start with basic needs of safety, food, clothing, shelter, water. Once those areas are satisfied, we can start moving up the hierarchy for education, socialization, activities, eventually leading up to self-actualization. So again, we have to make sure that first the children are safe, that they're in an environment that's conducive to meeting their needs. Um, Several of our kids start off with wearing the same clothes to school every day. If that is your world, how can you possibly learn? Because you know that the child sitting next to you knows you're wearing the same clothes you wore yesterday. So until all of those needs are met, um, we focus on that and then we start the beauty of developing a relationship, rebuilding trust, because the children don't trust. And once all that is established, we can start exposing them to things they haven't experienced before. Um, Going to a basketball game, being part of a soccer team. So CASA volunteers find out what are the children's interests that they may never have had the opportunity to even express before. And we start building on that. This is heartbreaking to hear because I'm, I'm sensing a, the, I'm feeling a broken child. And when you mentioned that the children can't trust uh, because they've been given no environment uh, where they have any sort of um, sense of, uh, oh gosh, consistency. And so uh, now the, the interview is going to go even deeper for me emotionally. So, so I, I volunteer, say I, I volunteer next week for CASA. I walk in your offices and I volunteer to be a volunteer uh, for CASA. What, what might my first assignment look like? Um, so actually, one of the very first things that we do with our new volunteers is ask them to put the CPS hotline phone number in their phone. Um, because whenever you are working with children and you're visiting um, them and their uh, foster placements, foster placements aren't always the best foster placements, right? Do, do people volunteer uh, to be foster parents or is there is there another motivation that I'm not aware of other than just helping children well sometimes the children that uh, go to uh, into foster care don't always end up in foster homes right so if you ever suspect any abuse that could also be in something what we call a residential treatment center um, or a group home and this can also result in a um, in a kinship placement. So that could be with other family members as well. And, um, you know, it's an imperfect world. So sometimes the children that we um, are working with aren't having their needs met. 
um, in certain homes. So we're always on the lookout for just any type of behaviors that might put the child um, at continuous risk. And Lonnie, because we develop that relationship with the children, um, the children will make their outcries to the volunteer. So again, they have to trust mm -hmm. because they know what happens when they share secrets. Okay, well, absolutely. I mean, well, the, the kids are, they're not, I'm sorry, to me, kids are not complicated. You feed them and you love them. Uh, and if they get those two things, love, which love expresses itself in many different ways, obviously. But if you love them, th things are good. And if you don't, at an early age, I, I think it takes a long time to get over that feeling of, of, of not being loved, because I think we all expect to be loved as children. We, we don't know any differently. So if if I volunteer at CASA, uh, and you set me up, Jared, mm -hmm. and I, I, I guess, do, do I clear security checks? Um, so actually, yeah, that's actually one of our requirements. So um, our requirements for becoming a volunteer advocate is that for one, of course, you have to have a heart for children um, and you have to be willing to commit to the duration of a court case. Um, that means that you are going to be that consistent adult presence in this child's life during a tumultuous time. So again, just to reiterate why that's important, that is because um, a child that is in foster care, they could have many different placements, right? Sometimes we see five different yeah. placements yeah. in one year. Their caseworkers change, their attorneys change. So who you're going to be is somebody that's going to be with them throughout this entire process. And so they are going to lean on you. When you say with them, what 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 do you mean? Like they, if if they're living in a foster home, then that's where they're living. So as a as a CASA volunteer, dude, am I am I mostly responsible for them during the proceedings? Do do they come to me as a volunteer and we go have dinner? I mean, or or lunch or whatever. Well, you go to their placement. Mm -hmm. So as okay. a volunteer advocate, your schedule is very flexible. Okay. Um, you find the best time for you. Maybe it's visiting them at school for lunch. Our kids love when you show up with a Happy Meal. It's a mentorship program. It is, it, okay. basically. However, what you're doing is you are observing, you're listening, uh -huh. you're fact-finding, you're gathering all that information because our judges in our family courts don't see what you see. So you become the eyes and ears of them and report back to the court. So that's the only part that's not flexible is when the, the case is in court. And so you're standing there testifying to what you've seen and what your recommendations are for the child's safety and other best interests. Okay. Now, if I was a volunteer, I would submit to you that I love children. Okay, but I'm not a specialist with children. Uh, my girlfriend points that out to me all the time. Uh, I love my own child, I love his friends. Um, and I think uh, that, that I could identify needs, possibly. But what uh, gives us the, the ability to impress the court that we know what we're talking about? So, uh I think you make a really good point. So becoming a CASA and just given to everybody who's listening to this, we've talked about a lot of really heavy things um, that our children have gone through, and it is a big role. However, you do not necessarily have to have the um, experience that you were just talking about. So we actually do offer a training. Um, okay. So we do offer a training, and that training is 
Um, so you would join me and a few other people. And essentially what we're gonna do is we're going to throw out a pretty wide net. We're gonna give you the foundation of what working on a court case is. So we're gonna even work uh, sample court cases. We're gonna um, write sample court reports. We're gonna have community and group discussions okay. about what these children are going through. And how long does the training last? The training itself is about 32 hours, and that's broken up between in-person and online work. And that also includes an hour of court observation. So for those who haven't um, been in court yet, we all go together, we all experience together, so that way you get that first experience under your belt. And, and I want to add to that, um, really just you listening to the child and having dialogue. Um, you show up at school with that Happy Meal, and they scarf it down and you say did you have breakfast today and a lot is told in just that question when you ask them what do you enjoy doing you're breaking my heart mary joe <laughs> i mean really my heart is, I, i'm not being facetious or sarcastic it's heartbreaking to hear and you know this goes on and that's what is so important uh to me about what you do is because this goes on and we're aware of it being aware is one thing being active uh as, as a change uh advocate is is quite different and so you 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 see the the hurt firsthand the quiet hurt you see yeah. the hurt, but then you're there for the first smile, no. the first time they laugh, the first time um, that you bring them to uh, an extracurricular activity. When you're in the stands and they're playing football and they've expressed nobody has ever been here for anything I've done. And so you start seeing that reinforcement, that hope, you see that firsthand and there's nothing um, more satisfying that we as adults can get from life than seeing that just listening and giving a little bit of time to a child makes such a tremendous difference. Do you uh, match people's skill set up with their age group? For instance, I don't really know what to do with a five-year-old except pretty cool, pat him on the butt, tell him to go play, or throw him a ball. But I, I, I'm not very relatable to small children. I begin to relate to them 12 when they develop a wit. You know, I, I begin to usually be more interactive with them. Do, do, do you match people's skill sets with the ages of the children? Yes, and there's actually a really good reason we do that. So after you finish training, you sit down and we have a conversation with you and we find out um, what type of uh, person that you're going to work best with. So if there is an age group that you work best with or you prefer, if there's certain experiences that you feel that you've had that might help a specific type of child and their experiences, we want to take that into consideration. So that way, when you feel comfortable as a volunteer on a court case, the likely, more likelihood you are to stay on that court case. And that's our main goal. So when we take care of our volunteers and match them with children um, that they're going to stay with the longest, um, it just ensures that our children are going to uh, receive the care that they deserve with a volunteer. You know, when I, when I think about CASA, my, my interpretation of it is uh, I was, I don't want to get too into this, I struggled mightily as a, as a young child. Uh, a little bit of a little bit of divorces there, and, and, and I remember as a fourth grader when I checked out, 
And so I know what it's like to, as a child, just to kind of build up walls and uh, how important that is to, to, to find. In, in, in my life, uncles and aunts compensated and casa is the uncles and aunts the good uncles and aunts and i see what you mean now in your description is that you don't need the constant exposure to these mentors you need brief happy exposure and you need to build happy memories so that you have some happy memories in your memory bank that you can draw off of right exactly yes because that's what these kids i mean i I can't imagine uh, a child uh, like uh, that, for instance, uh, is close to my home. My football likes likes football, plays football. Starts in uh, there's no little league football, but starts in junior high and, and plays. And wouldn't have a parent. I never witnessed it in my child's career where people on the field, the children on the field, didn't have parents there. I can't. When you just said that, you keep saying stuff that's just really ripping me apart. I I can't imagine. But just to have someone there to witness your hard work. Uh, and how much effort you're putting into your life as a child uh, would seem like it would be rewarding in a good way. Yes. <laughs> okay. And this is the hardest. I'll be honest with you. This is the hardest interview I've done so far. This is the hardest, most gut-wrenching interview I've done so far. Um, it's So you guys obviously work with CPS. Yes, correct? we do. Um, directly with CPS. Uh, people might not know that in the very short future, CPS is going to be reorganized and they're no longer going to be. Uh, well, some will be with the state. Some will be uh, just. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, not not paid by the state. Nonprofits. Nonprofit. Yes. Okay. How does that affect you guys? Well, once again, how much time do we have? <laughs> we got plenty. I mean, that's what we're we're here to do. we're here to discuss it. So, Texas's foster care system is broken, according to um, our legislators. So, what they devised was we are going to roll out massive changes throughout the state over a period of many years. So this is called community-based care. And they are transitioning from CPS to contracts with nonprofits. So the theory is that if we are based more regionally, the community um, is prepped and able to take care of our own children within the community. So we are a region that is about to roll this out. We have a contract in place. And so it's almost even more critical now um, that CASA remains constant and we keep doing exactly what we're doing um, as these changes um, affect our children. So what we're already seeing is massive turnover um, within CPS. And that job is already so tremendously difficult. But to know what the future holds or doesn't hold, they don't know. Um, but we have hope uh, that this new system will will be great for our community. And we are standing arm in arm um, with the new contractor and, and um, supporting them in their new initiative. Who are the contractors in Smith County, the new? Uh, it's called Four Kids for Families. Four kids, four, four families. families. I believe I've heard mm-hmm. of this. Okay. All right. And those are those will be comprised. I know this isn't CASA. I apologize. <laughs> but just for those listening, because it's all about kids. I mean, you guys, your, your whole organization, your whole reason for being is about children and children in trouble. And in, in my estimation, this is what you do. So any arm that would assist those children 
uh, you're a part of that web in some way yes that, that saves them so is there is there a website that we could go to to volunteer yeah so actually the website that you can go to is going to be uh, casa for kids of et.org could you say it one more time absolutely casa for kids of et.org okay there, there you can go to uh, volunteer uh, I, I'm not sure there's many good reasons to volunteer here in East Texas, but I can't think of one that would be more important than uh, let's talk about some successes that you've had. I know you can't name them individually, but uh, are, as a percentage, do you experience a lot of success? Yes. Okay. Um, our goal always is successful reunification with the parent or parents when possible, but we are never going to advocate for a return to the parents if we don't feel that that's um, in the child's best interest and, and that they'll be safe. Um, so sometimes we are cheerleaders for the parents and encouraging them, follow the services that the court has ordered for you. You can do this. Um, so that's uh, our primary goal when possible. We also see many successful adoptions when that's not possible. And there's also um, permanent managing conservatorship. So a grandparent may not adopt, but they may be awarded custody um, for the child. So all of those are successful outcomes when the child is safe provided for and loved. Do you see uh, young uh, moving from children to young adults after they've been through the process and, 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 and honestly had the blessing of going through CASA because it could be a lot worse without it. So it, when, when they graduate from CASA at 18, do you see a lot of relationships sustained with the mentors, with the CASAs and with the children? It used to be rare. Yes, that did exist and it was rare because our official legal role ends when the case closes. However, we do not prohibit our volunteer advocates from maintaining that relationship. And I've heard of several that have invited the children over for Thanksgiving. Um, so well, sure I, can't, I can't imagine getting to know a child and, and, and uh, you know, uh, intimately and, and in that kind of situation and not having empathy and, and wanting to continue your care for them. Yes. So we encourage in it. But lately, um, about a year ago, we started a new program where we hired a teen coordinator and her role was to prepare our older teens for aging out, um, encouraging them to stay in extended care that we referenced earlier. And she has been successful in getting some to stay and then maintaining the relationship with them after. So if they decide, hey, I wanna to go to TJC, she helps them wade through. Can you imagine um, the challenges that are involved in filling out FAFSA, getting housing, getting your textbook, getting registered when you've never made any decisions before? Yeah, your lips to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> so we now are bridging that. And okay. we have formed an alumni group. We're just getting it off the ground okay. where our kids that are out um, in the real world, uh, we bring them together. And what are your challenges? What, are, what resources do you need? How can we help you get that first apartment? How can we help you get your driver's license? How can we help you get your um, 
your other IDs, your birth certificates, because believe it or not, they may not even have copies of their birth certificate. So all those little things we take for granted, uh, we're helping the child with, and then maintaining that contact. So when they have successes in life, they call her. When they have challenges in life, they call her. And let me share one case. We had a child that aged out and was put on a plane and sent to another state. Within a week or two, she was homeless. So who did she call? She picked up the phone and she called her CASA advocate. And we immediately, long distance, started finding resources for her to help her um, get her feet back underneath her in another state. What what kind of case... do, do the children find them? Are, are we talking custody cases? Are we talking? Uh, I mean, obviously, we are talking darker cases where there's a more ominous, you know, presence of wrongdoing uh, is the best way I can put that. Um, but those are the type of cases we have where the the the, the casa is just there to to be helpful to direct the child and and be there as a a source of uh, strength for the child during these horrible kind of court cases, right? I guess. Yeah, and it's usually we're not involved in custody cases. Um, The child has been legally removed from their home um, because of abuse or neglect. So that is... Um, They're in the foster system. Yes. I'm sorry, I'm not yes. the brightest knife in the drawer, if you know what I mean. You're not alone so. in that thought. We get calls often yeah. saying, we're in the middle of a custody dispute, can you help? And no, that's not our uh, primary focus. So it, it's only once they've been removed and they're in legal custody of the state. Jared, give the web address again. So please. our website is casa for kids of et.org. Uh, guys, volunteer. Do some, not not you guys, but the guys listening and the girls listening. Uh, volunteer. You've got some time. Uh, maybe maybe you are an empty nester. Uh, maybe you've got uh, legal expertise. Uh, maybe you've got uh, an affinity for children in need. Uh, whatever the case, all nonprofits are just useful. And uh, you know, I I can't stress enough how badly you guys need volunteers. That, that, that you you constantly fight to have enough. Is that right? Yes, and particularly post. COVID. Um, It's not just us here, it's nationwide that all nonprofits are seeing a decline in volunteerism. And our lifeblood used to be um, retired individuals who had that extra time and empty nesters, as you uh, said. But now we're finding um, a younger demographic, 21 and up. What are you, Jared? 12? (laughs) <laughs> a little bit older than 12. Okay. <laughs> but anyone 21 and up, mm-hmm. we have um, increasingly more and more full-time professionals um, because the schedule is flexible. Okay. So we we can fit you in and find the perfect child who is just sitting there waiting for you. Again, I, I'm not sure uh, a child, uh, there's a, a more definite time of need than than something like you know you're in court to to decide your uh future for you where you don't have any input or you don't have parents uh that are there to input 
their wants, needs, and desires, you know, to you. So, uh, gosh, uh, is there a is there a phone number also that people can call to, like if like a hotline or something like that, or? Right. So if you want to contact our office, uh, you can call us at 903-597-7725. I, uh, thank you. Thank you both for, for coming. As I said, this is uh, probably, uh, with, without a doubt, I think this has been the toughest interview and I didn't see it coming. I just saw it as kind of a, not another nonprofit interview. I don't want to... Uh, make it seem like that because it's not that way with me but I it, I, 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 keep, I keep being overrun with the visual of a scared uh, child anywhere from 6 to 18 uh, staring at conditions they cannot control uh, dictated by people they don't know and how absolutely uh, horrible that can be for them. Uh, so I think uh, what I'm saying is uh, I'm going to volunteer for CASA. I've decided during the interview that I'm going to do it. Uh, I think I, I, I have the some of the tools that may work well um, with them. And uh, I challenge uh, those of you listening uh, to do the same thing. And I want to thank you both very much for coming today. Again, it was Jared Watson. And uh, Jared is the Director of uh, Community Engagement, and Mary Jo Burgess, who is the CEO and Executive Director. I thank you both so much for coming in today, and I look forward to when I'll be seeing you soon. Oh, we can't wait. Thank you, and have <laughs> thank a good day. Bye-bye. In Focus is a weekly public affairs program featuring members of the local community working to make East Texas a better place. In Focus is produced by KTBB and the Team Sports Radio. And we thank you for listening. Join us again next week.